A very warm welcome to all of you to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond podcast and this is your host Dr. Vignesh Devraj. In today's episode, I have Raj Sisodia, the co-founder and former chairman of Conscious Capitalism. He is the best-selling author of Healing Organizations, Shakti Leadership and his latest book Awaken, The Path to Purpose, Inner Peace and Healing, about which we will be deep diving. Our conversations include topics on why purpose-driven organizations are better for the planet, employees and the whole ecosystem. Possibility of having more satisfied and less burnt-out employees in a purpose-driven organization. How to find meaning in the suffering and healing your father wound and patriarchal trauma. A very rich conversation full of inspiration and wisdom. Hope you like this episode and now we go over to Raj Sisodia. Hello Raj, welcome to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond podcast. So happy to have you here. It's my pleasure Vignesh. Thank you for having me. I think we met a uh, few months ago and uh, what a phenomenal uh, you know conversation that we had at that time and also going through the books that you have written. It was really a surprise to see a soul like you uh, coming to Sitaram and it was very happy to uh, you know go through those conversations with you. Well, thank you. I'm just glad that uh, we discovered Sitaram. Several of our friends, we were asking around, you know, my partner, Neha, who you know, hmm. uh, we, she said we should do an Ayurvedic retreat. We asked several people and the one name that was common to all the recommendations was Sitaram. And so we're so glad we came and we are actually coming back in December for three weeks. So looking really... forward to have you back and Neha back. Yeah. And Raj, I got your new book, Awake and... Awaken, sorry, Awaken, and also the book Conscious Capitalism, which you gave me. And I see that your work is quite phenomenal because, you know, in Ayurveda, we work something called holistic. You know, we bring in the concept of holistic healing everywhere. It's not just one aspect. You have to look at many other aspects. That's where the healing comes. And I see that you apply that in your business. You apply that in coaching people. You apply that for the organizations. So could you explain and elaborate more about that because uh, for me you know i'm an ayurvedic doctor and also i run an organization so right. i apply the same principles i apply to a human body where something goes wrong everything has to come intact so it'll be very interesting to hear from you uh, you know from the horse's mouth when it comes to listening to that yeah no i think you're very right that you know organizations consist of organisms right they consist mm. of humans and, and they oh, that's are right. System. Organization consists of organisms. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And they are, you know, a, an interconnected system, and you have to pay attention to the flourishing of the whole as well as its component parts. And and every system needs a purpose. And when you change the purpose, the behavior of the system changes. So I think, yeah, and I, just observing uh, how Sitaram functions. As an organization, as a community, we could just tell Neha and others, there's a highly conscious leader uh, here, that's you, and how how much in service all the people are who work there, even the people who clean, uh, you know, and the people who, uh, uh, you know, spread the mosquito thing and, you know, all of the all of the people are very much in service. And you can just see their energy, they feel like they're part of something meaningful, and they're treated with respect and dignity. And I think when you do those things, when you have a higher purpose and you put people at the center of everything that you do, then beautiful things happen. 
Yeah, the everybody flourishes, you know, as we say, everybody matters and everybody needs to win in an organization. And I think I saw that at Sitaram, you know, whether it was the massage people or the landscaping people or the people who served us food, everybody did it with a smile and real joy and a sense of uh, a service. So, you know, it, it's a microcosm, I think, mm-hmm. of what can happen uh, in an organization. And it does emanate from the top, you know, the, the tone has to be set at the top. The leader has to not only say these, but really embody these things and personify them in their actions and in their demeanor and the values, you know, uh, that they that they live. Mm. So we really saw that in the full alignment between words and actions and values and behaviors uh, permeating throughout. So, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. You're a highly conscious leader. And I think you're bringing that holistic sense that, as you said, is, is very much a hallmark of the Ayurvedic uh, wisdom you're bringing that into your leadership oh, thank you Raj uh, this feedback makes me happy as well mm. so coming to the you know one thing that I want to extract out of you so Raj when you see organizations on one hand you know if you see the business world it's about making money and finance and profits and we have to take care of the shareholders interest and uh, the share value has to always keep going up only then we are going to make something beautiful and wonderful and meaningful that is some of the common myths or the common uh, rules that we understand about running a business so mm-hmm. when you talk about conscious capitalism or you know coming back or breaking that uh, trend or typical thinking and do you see that it really aligns with that concept or you or do you think it's a radical shift in fact when you think that way you actually make more money or Yes. It comes naturally. So could you elaborate about that? Why people think that it's all about making money, but it's not that. And also how yeah. the employee satisfaction of the organizations that are just about like a cash machine, we are just going to make money. And at the same time about, it's nothing more uh, than, it's not just about mo- making money, it's about a purpose. We have, we are highly focused on making a change in the world. Right. Yeah. So if you, if you think about business in a narrow way or a lower consciousness way, right, then it's just about making money, hmm. right? And, and it's just about the needs of the owner of the business or the shareholders, you know, hmm. in the case of a public company. And if you just think of it at that level, then you're going to end up using people in order to serve your, your hmm. needs, right? You know, fill, fulfill your wants and desires uh, as well. And when we use people in order to serve ourselves, and that's not real leadership, that's the definition of a tyrant is somebody who uses other people to serve their own needs, right? Mm. True leader is there to take people to a better place and to you know, bring meaning and purpose and joy and fulfillment in the world. So when you do a business with profit as the only purpose, then you end up squeezing your employees, you treat mm. them as a cost to be minimized, right? So pay them as little as possible, you know, get them to work as much as possible, etc. You end up squeezing your suppliers. You want to get the best possible lowest price every time. Mm. You may end up even doing things that are not good for your customers in the sense that you sell them things that are not in their best interest, that are not going to contribute to their real long-term flourishing, but they just, it's like creating and feeding wants and desires and addictions. Mm. So much of the food that we sell and the drinks and the alcohol and the soft, you know, sugary sodas and junk food and all of that, you know, is creating addictions and then feeding those addictions. So we're not serving the well-being of our customers and improving the quality of their life. You know, we're harming our suppliers, we're harming our employees, we're 
damaging our communities and we're damaging the planet because we are singularly focused on that one outcome, right? Mm -hmm. For profit. And maximizing profit means maximizing revenue, minimizing cost. So maximizing revenue means charging as much uh, and selling as much as you can. And minimizing cost is, as I said, paying as little as you can to your employees and suppliers, et cetera. Well, that's not a business. To me, that's a parasite. A parasite is sucking value out, you know, you know, from the planet, from people, and then you're keeping it for yourself. A true business is actually creating value of multiple kinds for everybody. Not just financial, we act like we live by money alone, but obviously we live in so many other things that matter, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our physical well-being, the ecological well-being, the, the impact in you know, our societal well-being, you know, the cultural well-being. Uh, all of that are, is important. And when we do business with purpose and values, right? When you have a higher purpose that is about addressing some real need in the world, right? Finding solutions to the problems of people and the planet. The way I frame it is reducing suffering in some dimension and bringing joy into their lives, right? If I think about my purpose as a healing purpose, mm. suffering bringing more joy into people's lives, right? And if I do that with genuine care, then I become a healing organization, which is another way of saying a conscious business. And then you have a positive impact on the lives of everybody. So ultimately, it comes down to a message that Viktor Frankl also gave us about happiness. Hmm. Viktor Frankl wrote, if you've read the book, Man's Man Search, Search for, for Me Healing. Yeah. Meaning, sorry, yes. And, and the, the core message of that book is that happiness cannot be pursued. Happiness ensues. It is the outcome. Mm. of living a life of meaning and purpose, that true happiness for human beings comes from when they're doing something that makes a difference in the world, in the lives of others, right? So uh, meaning and purpose comes from doing work that matters, right? And you're a great example of this. You're now doing work that genuinely matters. You've got these people whose lives are being transformed as a result of their interaction with you and with Sitaram. Uh, doing work that matters, loving without condition. As human beings, we are meant to express love give and receive love, right? And that has to be at the core of everything that we do. And the third is finding meaning in your suffering. Bad things happen. We cannot control what happens to us, but we do control our response. How do we respond to something that happens, right? Can we find meaning in our suffering? Can we turn that suffering into something of, of value, of beauty, Right, people, parents who suffer a loss sometimes of a child to a disease or to a particular condition, they end up then dedicating themselves to reducing that suffering for other people. Right, the the mother whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver in Minnesota started Mothers Against Drunk Driving as an organization that has now saved countless lives. Right, so her daughter died and she lost. You know, she had that great suffering as a result, but then she prevented so much more suffering, and that's called finding meaning in your suffering. Now, you can apply those lessons to business. You can call that book The Corporation Search for Meaning. And the same thing applies. Businesses pursue profits the way humans pursue happiness, but profits cannot be pursued. Profits ensue. They're the outcome of building a business, you know, on those same principles, right? Doing work that matters, having a higher purpose in the world, solving real challenges that people are facing, mm -hmm. building the business on love and not greed, not fear and not any of the other base emotions. The building is uh, the business is an expression of love, right? It's an expression of caring. We are all here to evolve ourselves and to take care of each other. Business is a way you can do that at scale. 
right? You can only take care of a few people in your normal life, but business, you can touch so many lives, right? And then the third is growing from adversity. When bad things happen, businesses, conscious businesses rise, you know, at uh, to an even higher level. And so I think that is ultimately what this movement is about, to recognize that business is so much richer and deeper as an activity than we give it credit for, or when we think about it narrowly, it becomes simply a way of us using each other, hmm. right, to make money. Whereas business is really a way of us serving each other and taking care of each other and meeting our needs and enriching our lives and doing that for each other, right, through the business. And so that's really the power. And as you said, uh, when you do this, you actually generate more profit than if you just set out to maximize profit. Why do we, uh, how do we know this? You know, in my research, when I wrote a book called Firms of Endearment in 2007, which was the first book in this area, and that led to the founding of the conscious capitalism movement, I found that companies that operate this way, they outperform the overall market, the average companies out there by about nine to one over 10 years. Okay, mm. in that set of companies that I looked at, 28 companies over 10 years. So the other companies are all out there trying to make money as much as possible. And these companies are trying to fulfill their purpose and treat all of their stakeholders with love and care, which is why that's called firms of endearment. It is companies that are loved, right? And they outperform financially nine to one while also creating emotional well-being, right? People living not with fear and stress, but you know, with love and care, spiritual well-being, having meaning and purpose through their work. As I said, ecological well-being, you know, physical well-being in their bodies, the impact on society, the culture, etc. So you're creating all kinds of value in addition to superior financial value when you operate a business in this way. And that's really the magic of it, you know, that uh, when you, uh, you unleash this extraordinary human potential that exists, that most businesses don't even scratch the surface of what people are capable of, of doing and contributing. Wow, did you just say nine is to one ratio of companies that yes. have a... Yes, I mean, so again, like in, a... In, yeah, the firms of India and the conscious companies, over a 10-year period, their returns were 1,025% for their investors, and the S&P 500 was at 130% for those years. So again, that is you know one set of companies for that period of time, but there's other research also that supports that, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the outperformance is so significant because most businesses are not operating this way. And therefore the ones that do stand out to such a degree, their customers love them. You know, they don't have to spend money on marketing. Most of these companies spend almost zero on marketing. Other companies are spending billions of dollars. Their employees love them. They're highly engaged. Average employee engagement is only 20% worldwide. These companies you're looking at 95% passionate commitment. So you can imagine the difference it makes mm -hmm. when you've got an employee who's just showing up and doing the bare minimum to keep their job versus somebody who really believes in what they're doing and is passionate about it, right? Employee turnover is much lower, right? Compared to the other companies, you know, people come and they don't want to leave. Suppliers are loyal. You have all these factors that start working. Now in a future world, which we hope to bring about when more and more companies start operating in a conscious way, right? Today, it's the exception. Mm. Now that we want to make it the norm. This becomes, you know, why would you think about having a business without a purpose. You have to, right? just like we have to have a purpose. right? Now, when I was growing up in India in the 70s, nobody talked about purpose. Your purpose was to stay alive and get a job, you know, and survive somehow. But today we can think about purpose, right? Not beyond just, you know, earning a living, right? So likewise, 
you know, with business, we used to think it's only because we were in survival mode. We have to, that's a low level of consciousness. This is a higher level of consciousness. You know, one of the metaphors I love for this is the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Mm. I think about the caterpillar's existence. It's all about consumption, right? All the caterpillar is supposed to do is eat. But then nature steps in and turns on these imaginal cells, right? And it goes through that metamorphosis, cocoon phase. It dies to its old self. It literally becomes food for the next version of itself and then emerges as this creature of light and beauty, the butterfly. But not only is it spreading light and beauty, which is a wonderful thing, we need that, but also it is engaging in cross-pollination. It's enabling other forms of life to thrive. It's creating thriving all around it while it is also spreading light and beauty in the world. And I think that is a metaphor that applies to us as individuals. We can live like caterpillars just consuming and accumulating and a bigger house and bigger car and more money and, you know, and then you die, you know, and nobody cares. Or we can rise to this level of consciousness where we become instruments of light and beauty in the world and we help create more flourishing around us, right? And the same is true of organizations. We can either condemn them to exist as caterpillars, which is just about maximizing profits, or they also become instruments of, of fundamental change in the world, right? And spreading prosperity all around them. And so I think that metaphor really applies here. We can operate at that high level. And so in a world where, if, if I would say all companies became conscious, then of course you wouldn't see that nine to one, right? But it's like mm -hmm. a rising tide. What happens today that businesses, normal businesses are making a certain amount of money, but what we're not capturing is the harm that they're doing while they're making that money. The harm to the planet, the harm to other species that are going extinct. Right. I mean, I, I I was in tears when I went to my family farm near Indore in Madhya Pradesh, and a few years ago, and I saw everything is dead. The you know, this, like I asked my brother, it's so different than when I was a child. He said, "Yeah, the birds are gone, the bees are gone, the earthworms are gone, the butterflies are gone. You know, everything has died because of all the chemicals, right? And yeah, we're producing a little more, but the, you know, the sea, the soil is useless basically, right? So traditional businesses, they look like they're profitable, but the real net impact if they really had to account for all of the real costs. You know, one of the other things, I wrote a book called The Healing Organization in which I captured the, the reality that, you know, the way we do business traditionally causes so much suffering that heart attacks are 20% higher on Mondays in the US mm. and in the UK, right? That's the beginning of the work week. Our work is literally killing us. 100,000 Americans die from overwork. I mean, from uh, stress connected to work every year, 120,000. And 600,000 Chinese die from too much work, overwork. The human cost of doing business doesn't show up in the income statement or the balance sheet, but it's the biggest cost we have, right? So traditional businesses make money, but they also cause a lot of harm and suffering elsewhere. Conscious businesses make a lot more money and they have a spectrum of positive effects across the board right? On people, on communities, on society, on the planet and other species as well, right? So that's really, that's something worth striving for. And that's really why we have this global movement that we started in 2008. We're now in 15 countries and about 20, uh, 35 US cities where we have local chapters. And we are changing the conversation slowly around business, you know, around the world. Wow, Raj, I wish whatever you just said, every MBA student and the business leader, any manager, HR managers and the business founders, yeah. you know, listen to this concept. You know, I would like to just uh, rephrase a few things that you mentioned so far, you know. First of all, I, I love that concept of the butterfly and the caterpillar, which was very important. There's also a 
say saying by i think it was uh, there's this stand up comedian called george carling oh, he yeah. used to make this uh, joke uh, caterpillar does all the hard work but butterfly takes the credit <laughs> so well a caterpillar just eats but basically it has to yes. die yes i right, don't know for the butterfly but you know the interesting thing the caterpillar doesn't wake up one day and say what kind of a life am i living you know i have no purpose in my life right nature plays that role putting on that switch us human beings we have to choose right mm-hmm. we have the freedom but also then the responsibility to choose wisely we have to choose whether we want to live at that level or we want to rise to that higher level of consciousness right doesn't happen automatically for us have you seen this documentary called true cost i think i have is that about the clothing industry yeah, exactly it's about the clothing yeah, yeah, industry yeah. it it talks yeah. about how damaging the clothing industry is yeah. in order to minimize the cost of the clothes uh, yes. and the kind of damage it does in some of the third world countries including india bangladesh vietnam how much they cut throat and bring down yeah. the wages and oh, yeah. pollution it does and the overproduction of clothes which nobody wears and stocks yeah. it Yeah it really is extraordinary i mean i think i talked about sometimes you can buy a t-shirt for 2 dollars in this country you know mm. but what is the real cost you know of that t-shirt what's the human suffering that went into that mm. you know and the people who couldn't feed their families and then the building that collapsed in bangladesh and all of that yes. you know that's part of the system that we've created that is built on suffering that a lot of people have to suffer so that some people may may prosper you know and that's not okay even if you look at factory farming 75 billion animals are killed every year in factory farms mm-hmm. you know especially here in the west i don't know if that's happening in india now but you know when cows and chickens and pigs are kept in cages and cannot even move their legs and you know they're like they live horrific lives right they are tortured for their brief lives and they're fed an unnatural diet that's not the diet that creature is supposed to eat why because we're trying to maximize profit out of these animals Mm. right and chickens are f- pumped full of hormones right so that they have larger breasts and they, they can't even walk they fall over right because they're unnatural it's just it's it's like a uh, a daily holocaust you know that that we're creating out there in order to feed our appetites and feed our greed and that's not okay you know i think all that suffering that we are inflicting matters i don't think suffering disappears when those creatures die you know 75 billion of them every year that suffering all is is that energy exists out there so we have to change so much you know and that's why as i said after coming to uh, i'm a you know i'm a rajput right i come from that mm-hmm. culture of eating meat and drinking and you know all kinds of uh, you know self abuse in a way but after coming to uh, sitaram i i stopped eating meat and i've stopped uh, drinking you know and it's a fundamental shift but it's really about living mindfully and not knowingly causing suffering out there for others you know and i realized i was out of alignment mm-hmm. speaking about love in business and conscious capitalism and so forth and yet i'm in a way supporting and participating in a system of suffering right by my own habits consumption mm-hmm. habits especially so i think that's about alignment raj you, you made a statement you know the there's 20% heart attacks happen on mondays no heart attacks are 20% higher on mondays higher on mondays okay 20% of the yeah 20% higher on mondays yeah so uh, one thing that i've noticed especially during and post covid i have seen you know being an ayurvedic doctor i get a lot of patients with burnout 
I mean, a lot of patients with burnout also come to see Tara. And when I have the questionnaire with, I mean, the interview, the questions with them, one thing that I very much is quite clear is they are really not happy with what they're doing. Yeah. Maybe they love their job, but somewhere the ecosystem that they are performing, they just don't feel safe. They just don't feel rewarded. They feel their contribution is of no use. Maybe they're getting paid really well. Yeah. or maybe uh, even paid much more than the industry standards but they say no this is not what i want to do yeah yeah and do you see these kind of organizations like the conscious and or the healing organizations the concept that you're talking about it will be interesting to find a research what is the employee satisfaction and if the burnout percentage is does it exist or it doesn't yeah I can guarantee that the burnout rate is much lower in these companies. I don't have hard data right now. We haven't done that, but I think that would be an important study to do hmm. because people are in, okay. So people are engaged. People feel valued. They're treated with respect and dignity. You know, there's, there's studies that show 88% of Americans feel they work for a company that doesn't care about them as a human being. Hmm. Right? You're just the function you perform, right? You're an accountant, et cetera or whatever your job is, but you don't care. So when people feel valued, when they feel heard, when they're recognized and celebrated for who they are and what they do, when they have a sense of meaning and purpose in their work, when they're excited to go to work, they don't say, thank God it's Friday. You know, like we have that restaurant, right? Where <laughs> people basically live for their time outside of work. You know, work can be the most inherently meaningful and fulfilling thing in a human life. Hmm. I think Freud said, love and work are the cornerstones of our humanness. Right, We are the only species where we work, even if we don't have to, many of us, right, as a matter of survival, because work gives meaning. Work is a way of us becoming immortal in a way, leaving a legacy in the world, right, changing the world. We are, we are capable of extraordinary acts through our work. We can create. No other creature can create. You know, you look around, everything that exists existed in a human mind before it existed in the physical plane. You know, we have that divine capacity. But most human beings on this planet never, ever get to experience that because the work is drudgery. It's meaningless. The workplace feels like a prison, right? They have no freedom. They have no autonomy. They have no ability to uh, develop mastery. There's no sense of purpose. Uh, they have no respect and dignity. We have this idea of a boss. Mm. So I hate the word boss, which is commonly used. You know, boss comes from the Dutch word boss, which means master in slavery. So it's a, it's a word oh, rooted in goodness. slavery. Right. Wow. And now we use it in business. Like, yeah, I've got a boss and some, some bosses say, oh yeah, I'm a slave driver. You know, they're proud of the, you know, how they are a boss. I don't think anybody should That's have That's very boss. interesting. I didn't know that boss yeah. comes from that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So much. See the language matters, you know, and in business, so much of our language comes from the military. Hmm. Right. If you look at the way we manage and organize and lead a lot of it in the 1800s, when we started having large companies, we didn't know how to, of managed thousands, tens of thousands of people. So we, the only such organizations that existed were armies. So we borrowed from the armies, the, the, the hierarchical organizational structure, the command and control approach uh, to leadership, the language of strategy and tactics and operations and front lines and headquarters. And, you know, all of those are military terms originally, and they've become part of the business lexicon. But with that has come a mindset of business as a kind of war, mm. right? And the customers are your uh, the your prize that you're trying to win. Your employees are your soldiers and the competitors are your enemies and you have to destroy them. And you know, it's just a very toxic mindset. And business is not war. It's the opposite. Business is about us serving and taking care of each other. You know, in a free society, governments don't take care of us. Businesses are given the opportunity 
to meet our needs. And when you meet needs with, with genuine care, you know, then you are you're healing people, right? And so I think that whole mindset has to change, you know, in business. And and we, you know, especially in the US, you know, we kind of celebrate this idea that business is about self-interest and we've made it selfishness and greed that we celebrate. You know, that famous movie, Wall Street in the 1980s. Gordon Gecko. <laughs> yeah, and he says that greed is good. Greed is what makes the world go around. For the lack you know, of better this is what word. makes things happen. <laughs> and I don't think that is true. I don't think greed can ever be a virtue. I don't think selfishness can be a virtue. Hmm. Self-interest is fine. Selfishness is not. But we've kind of celebrated that. And we, kind of, we say, if, if it's not working, that means you need to be more greedy and more selfish to make it work. No, you end up causing a lot of suffering, right? And you have to recognize that that which is, you know, you know, it's it's all about, you know, if you think about the world of economics and capitalism, it's all predicated on this view of human beings, hmm. that we are what they call homo economicus. We are economic, rational, economic, maximizing agents, right? We're about material, uh, personal uh, well-being or financial well-being, right? defined purely in financial terms. And everything is predicated on that as a foundational assumption, but that's not a whole view of human beings. We are also here, we are altruistic, we are caring, right? We are cooperative, we're not just competitive with each other. In fact, those are the qualities that have enabled us to succeed as human beings on this, as homo sapiens, right, on this planet. So we're actually working on developing a new theoretical foundation for business and capitalism, which is rooted in evolutionary biology and understanding what it is that has led to human beings evolving the way we have and what has led to our successes it is not acting uh, uh, according to the way economists you know define what human behavior is supposed to be and you know and, and at the root of it is you know if you go back what is the foundation of con of capitalism is adam smith right the, the book the wealth of nations in 1776 that freedom is linked to prosperity individuals pursuing their self interest will eventually end up sensing and meeting each other's needs and trading with each other, and that's better than having a central planning government, you know, decide everything. So that was a big insight, and, and societies got organized on the idea, of the U.S. especially, around the idea of, of individual freedom, right, and self-determination. But he also, also wrote another book that came 17 years before called The Theory of Moral Sentiments, mm -hmm. which is about the human need to care, Right. And without regard to self-interest, right? We are, you know, as a species, we are built and designed, wired to care for each other, whether there's any self-interest in, in it or not. You know? So the way I say it uh, somewhat jokingly is that capitalism had a mother and a father. And they were both Adam Smith. The mother energy was in, wealth, uh, was in altru uh, the theory of moral sentiments. And the father energy was in wealth of nations. Right, which is about you know, freedom and self-determination. The other one was about love and care. And as we do in life, we tend to take our mothers for granted, right? And we try to emulate our fathers. We try to do you know what our fathers did in the world to succeed and compete and all of that. And I think that's what the missing piece is, the the mother energy in a way, if you want to call it that, uh, in capitalism, the love and the care and compassion. Which is why I wrote a book called Shakti Leadership, which is about bringing the feminine. The feminine has been suppressed in all aspects of society. And you live in Kerala, which I think one of the few matriarchal, you know, matrilineal mm. societies, right? I think that's still the case. But for most of human history, most societies have been organized in strictly patriarchal terms with, with men dominating and masculine energy permeating. And as a result, we have all the suffering that we see because we're not balanced. We need both. It's yin and yang, you know, one without the other is incomplete. 
And when you just have masculine, the absence of the feminine, you know, the healthy masculine of strength and courage and focus and determination and all of that becomes domination and aggression and hyper-competition and winning at all costs and everything becomes a war mm. in the absence of the feminine. So I think bringing more of that feminine energy in is a big part of this movement, you know. And when I worked with a coach some years ago, and she heard the story of my life, which I've written about in this new book. And she said, do you realize you spent, you spent 45 years trying to uh, impress your father with your work and your titles and your, you know, whatever. And now you spend the last 15 years honoring your mother with your work. That everything I've done in Conscious Capitalism, Firms of Endearment, Everybody Matters, Shakti Leadership, and all of these things, healing organization, is really bringing that energy into business which is my mother's energy. I mean, my, my, my mother is a particularly pure representation of that energy. But I think that is a big part of, of the answer for all of our global challenges is bring in the divine feminine energy. That's the healing energy. I really want to go deep into that topic about the patriarchism and the, the feminism. I, I wouldn't call it feminism. I think that takes to another, the feminine energy in the business. But before that, um, Raj, what are the companies that you consider to be healing organizations? In your well, experience in the, that we all know, yeah. so that sure. you know, we get an understanding. In the US, of course, Patagonia is a great example of that. You know, mm. they're, they're trying to heal our planet. Uh, Whole Foods has been a healing organization about healing our, our bodies, but also the food system and the planet. You know, all the well-being of everything depends on what we put into our bodies. I would say in India, the Tatas have been a highly conscious organization mm. and in some ways a healing organization for 150 years now. I mean, they started with that DNA and that, you know, they've deviated at times, you know, when they lost touch with their, you know, their founding energy, but they've, they've reconnected to that. Um, uh, Costco here in the US is also, I've written about, uh, about 25 companies in, in the book. I think Jaipur Rugs in India Mm. I've written about them in the healing organization. I don't know if you know about them. Nandikishore Chaudhary, who's known as the Gandhi of the carpet industry. Mm. You know, he entered a business where he saw these women who were being exploited. You know, they're considered untouchable, that caste, right? The, the carpet weaving, the weaving community. And they're exploited by their in-laws. They're exploited by the contractors. They're paid very little. They work very hard. You know, they don't, they have really, really terrible lives. Mm. And he came in and he, he said, I want to serve, you know, these are the innocent people. They have never asked for anything from anybody. All they've done is serve other people. I want to serve them. I want to make their life better. So he created Jaipur Rugs. There are 40,000 women viewers working in that now. They have respect and dignity and they're being educated through the foundation. They're paid well. They have the opportunity to become entrepreneurs within that system. And the mm. transformation is extraordinary. You know, I met a woman named Shanti who's, who had a you know, horrific life before that. She was almost starving at different points, you know, abused at every level, not even fed well, not educated by her own parents. And her in-laws abused her. Her husband was an alcoholic. And then she found Jaipur Rugs. And now she has five children and two are already graduated from college and two are in college and one is going to go to college. So five children of an illiterate, untouchable woman will now have That's a life. a transformation that is possible, huh? Yeah, and her life has changed, but future multi-generations lives have changed because you had a conscious caring business with, you know, the the, the consciousness of that leader, Nand Kishore Chaudhary, mm. permeating that, you know. So I think the, the impact can be so huge, you know. As I said, we profile about 25 such companies uh, in that in that book, you know. 
that's very inspiring now raj when you talk about patriarchy and you know we are trying to impress our father for the first half of our life or more than that and then uh, we realize maybe that's not the right way or maybe there's another way to look at it so can you please elaborate on that and also about the you know the gist of your book awaken it'll be quite yeah, interesting sure. So you know that was my realization, and again, help with the help of a coach. I don't know if everybody goes through that. I think many mm-hmm. people just stay in that rut. It's very hard once there's a rut, and you know, it's like if you if you ever ski, uh, you know, when you go down the mountain, many people have already skied. You're going to go into one of those ruts, and you can't get out of that rut because it's like mm-hmm. a deep, right? So most people live their lives in those ruts. They never actually are able to deviate and and explore, you know, different pathways. i was blessed to have that those insights you know and and be on that passage a path of uh, of self discovery and uh, and trying to understand my life you know and so that was one of the awakening so what happened in the, in 2018 is the year i turned 60 and i was writing that book the healing organization and i was i had just finished another book and i was already on my research i was traveling and i was capturing the stories and then i was just like frantic my life has always been kind of you know at a frantic pace from project to project and book to book and four women told me the same thing when i was talking to them that uh, that year in 2018 they said raj you're writing a book about healing but what about your own healing and i said well i don't have time for that i have a book deadline in october you know i don't have time to they said no book deadlines are flexible and i said well i think i'm okay i don't think i need any healing said so, no everybody needs healing and you especially we know your story you know definitely you need to work on yourself you haven't worked on yourself enough you've done all this work in all these books outside right and yeah i've taken a few courses on art of living and i've you know done a few workshops here and there but i haven't really gone deep inside and explored my own wounds and traumas and you know what what i need to heal and so fortunately i had the good sense to listen to these four women and i delayed that book by 5 months um and i said yes to a variety of experiences that i had previously declined because i didn't have time so we went to the himalayas you know we do these shakti spiritual journeys around the world mm. and this time my co-author nilima bhat was planning a journey to uh, ladakh right up near the border with china uh, and tibet and that's as we know the the seat of the deepest buddhist wisdom right is in tibet and in that part of india and so i was immersed in that for uh, that period that's where i had my 60th birthday way up in the high himalayas uh, i said yes to a silent retreat uh, in upstate new york at a place called peace village which is run by the brahma kumaris actually and i was there with uh, 35 other people for four days and i had you know i had not experienced silence very much in my life and i found that in those four days i was receiving so many downloads and so many insights about my own life and about life in general you know that i had 45 pages of notes and really the outline for another book uh i said yes to uh a trip to the amazon rainforest with a group called the pachamama alliance where they take groups of people and they've been working for 25 years in ecuador deep inside the rainforest working with the indigenous people there the achuar and the zapara two different tribes that uh, exist in the forest and working with them to connect the modern world with the uh indigenous world right that there's a lot of wisdom and understanding and connection to nature that that is embodied in those uh, traditions that the modern world has lost we have disconnected ourselves from nature we act like we are separate that we come into this world no we come out of this world we don't come into this world we're as much a part of nature as a tree or a bee 
but yet we separate ourselves and therefore we destroy nature, right? Because we treat it as something other. So they have a deep wisdom around that. And they also have these ceremonies that they do called ayahuasca. I don't know if you heard about mm -hmm. ayahuasca, of but course, one of the yes. psychedelics, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so she said, you're going to learn more in 10 days about healing than you will learn in five years of research. You need to come and experience this. So I did. And I had an incredible experience for those 10 days living with those uh, Achuara and Zapara people, but also the ayahuasca journey that I did, you know, gave me such uh, deep insights, you know, into so many things about healing. I'll just share a couple of the visions that came to me that night. So ayahuasca is a brew that has been used in the Amazon rainforest for who knows, maybe 10,000 years. Uh, and at some point, the, the people there figured out that if you take the root of one particular plant and you boil it with the leaves of another plant, you know, in, for two or three days, then it'll result in this brew that if you drink it, will alter your consciousness. But not just like getting drunk on alcohol, but actually mm -hmm. gives you access to, to wisdom and, and, uh, and uh, knowledge that you otherwise don't have access to. That somehow you're tuning into some levels of consciousness that normally you don't tune into. Hmm. Right, I think that the underlying theory of consciousness is that consciousness is not something that exists in my head or your head. It's a property of the universe, like gravity or electromagnetic waves or whatever. And we're all tuning in with our own frequency. Hmm. And we create a certain level of consciousness. Right, But when you do these kinds of plant medicines, it gives you access to levels of consciousness you may not have ever had. You're, you know, it's all out there. Right, You're tuning in. And so I, I went in with the uh, with the objective of learning about healing. And I started having all these visions. Uh, one vision I was shown was a long line of people standing under the sun, waiting for a hug from a tiny woman at the end of a line. And I recognized her as Amma, you know, the hugging mm -hmm. saint from India, right? Exactly. She comes here to Boston every August. And, and so I was being shown that, but the narration that was uh, I was hearing as I was being shown that, I'm lying there on these banana leaves under the sky, you know, it was a lunar eclipse night. It's quite a surreal setting. But the message I was getting was that all these people who are standing in line, they could be hugging each other. Hmm. That They don't need to wait to get a hug from that person, that every human has the ability. We are the source of suffering for each other as human beings, and we are also the, can be the source of healing for each other. Right? So the person next to you is as much capable of giving you that, that healing that you seek. Uh, then the other message I got was, I saw these four words floating in my vision. He said, this is what the world needs in order to heal. And it came like an acronym. So LIST, here's the LIST, L-I-S-T. And then each word started coming to the forefront. So L stood for love. That everything we do in life should come from love. In business and in our personal lives. Even if you have to let somebody go, can you do that with love? And make sure that they're okay, right? With a care about them. Uh, not from anger and not from greed, and not from fear. A lot of business decisions come from greed and fear, right? Can we operate with love at the root of everything? Innocence. We are all born innocence. I is for innocence, right? The second word. We are all born innocent. You know, we all have different qualities when we are born, but the one quality we share is innocence. But then most of us get corrupted by the ways of the world. We are born into this society and a particular kind of family and norms. And we learn that it's okay to use our intelligence to trick each other and climb over each other, you know, and in hyper-competitive Western societies, it's all about winning, right? And mm. if I win, you lose. And so we use our intelligence, you know, not to uh, uh, serve each other, but really to take advantage of each other. We lie and cheat to get what we want, etc. But can we return to innocence? 
you don't have a choice as a child you are born a certain way and then things happen to you but as an adult you can choose i choose to live with innocence what does that mean i do not knowingly cause harm or suffering to another unnecessary harm or suffering to another right my mother was a you know a manifestation of that i mean she was as innocent at the age of 82 as when she was a little child you know she never ever did anything that caused a pain knowingly causing pain for another the third was simplicity you know we have these incredible brains and we create so much complexity but we have to remember that the most important things in life are simple and mm. we forget about that right so can we get to that simplicity on the other side of complexity that reflects true mastery right that understanding how things really work and the last is the truth what is our commitment to the truth you know truth is more fundamental than peace because without truth there can be no peace in south africa they had the truth and reconciliation commission at the end of apartheid mm-hmm. because unless you acknowledge the truth of what happened in those 200 years and how much suffering you know was created for the black people there by the by the white people if they didn't acknowledge that and atone for that and beg forgiveness for that there could not be any reconciliation so the truth is is fundamental and we live in a world where truth seems to have lost its meaning you know people make up you know whatever they want uh to be true and we talk about alternate facts and all this kind of stuff right so that was a message that came through through me or to me and i'm still trying to absorb and learn you know these things so all of these experiences ultimately led me to reflect on my life and and my journey you know it's it's at one level a very unusual story a kid growing up in a village in the middle of india you know in the rajput feudal culture my father was grandfather was a thakur of the village and lots of lands and you know many many servants and there was a very abusive environment you know and uh where as i said patriarchal feudal misogynistic in many ways i came out of that environment and how did i then ultimately get to discover my purpose mm. right which is to bring heart healing courage soul and awakening to business and leadership so that we can build a better world for all you know what's the pathway for that and what are the things that happen in my life that eventually connected the dots uh so that you know in many ways the suffering i had to experience was part of the medicine i needed in order to do the work that i needed to do in this lifetime so i had to experience the worst of the hyper i had to experience the energy of my father you know and the the patriarchal abusive you know energy that existed there to come to some deeper realizations right i had to recognize that we are in the cycle of victims of victims you know mm. that my grandfather you know inflicted suffering on my father my father inflicted suffering on me and then i realized one day i have a special needs son so oh my god i have a father wound because of my father and he had a father wound because of his father and now my son has a father wound because of me because i've mm. never fully accepted him because he's special needs he's got a condition a couple of conditions right and i never saw him as a full human being right i only saw his defects and his challenges right and i've started to now heal that wound with my son right and come from a place of genuine acceptance and love and seeing the beauty in him and one day i also realized after i did that ayahuasca that my son is actually a living embodiment of list he's incredibly loving he's 34 years old now incredibly loving you know is the most affectionate person i've seen he's very innocent like a little child he keeps life very simple if he has his basic needs the things that he loves and he's the happiest and most optimistic person you know in the house and he cannot tell a lie you know so he embodies the truth so he's really here as my teacher you know so there's been a deep healing 
as a result of those insights uh, with him. So, so this book, as I said, is an exploration of my journey and connecting the dots looking back. I started this project when I turned 60, which is a natural time of reflection. I think it's kind of the, you know, the beginning of the third act, you know, if you think <laughs> about life in three acts and taking stock and, and sort of making sense of your life. And then once you make sense, then you can actually live more consciously from here on out, because until now things happen and then you react and things happen and so forth. But now it becomes a much more a conscious, awakened state, hmm. you know, that I want to strive to stay in. But as I say in the book, it's one thing to awaken, it's another thing to stay awake. You know, it's very easy to go back to sleep. You know, you wake up and then you go back. How do we stay in that awakened state? You know, and that's really the, uh, what I'm hoping that the book is able to do for the reader is to get them to reflect and at the end of every chapter, I do have reflections for the reader to think about their own life you know, in the light of what I've just written about. And then think about all these things. And the subtitle is The Path to Purpose, Inner Peace, and Healing. And that's what really it takes the reader through my journey of how I came to my purpose. But then I had purpose, but I didn't have inner peace mm. for you know, many years after that and how I came to that. And then I realized I needed to heal. I have all these traumas. You know, I have my personal trauma with my father. I had family trauma in my system, my family in, 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 in India. There was a tremendous amount of traumatic abuse that happened before I was born. But I'm living in the shadow of that trauma and that affects me. Then there's ancestral trauma. What happened to my ancestors, the Rajputs, on the northwest frontier of India? You know, India has been invaded about 200 times, I read, mm -hmm. and more than any other country in the world. And most of that came from the northwest. And my ancestors were the ones who had to fight those battles and, and die, many of them, and their wives and children committing mass suicide, right, to, to not, you know, be enslaved. And then the collective trauma in the world, you know, the pandemic, climate change. In this country, we have the whole George Floyd and all of the episodes, you know, there's collective. So there's all these traumas out there that each of us is subject to, and most of us never do anything about it. We just hide it, we don't talk about it, and then we numb it. So it's interesting, before I came to uh, Sitaram, my numbing mechanism was in my family for generations, alcohol. Every time I felt stressed, I would have a bourbon and I would feel better, right? Mm -hmm. And I came to Sitaram and I didn't have that, right? I lost my coping mechanism. This is how my father copes with his, coped with his trauma, right? That's how I coped. And I started experiencing backaches. The entire time I was there, I had backaches. And every day they were massaging me, you know, and putting things there, but it didn't help. And then I came to the U.S. I went to Mexico and I had more back pain. I was getting chiropractic treatment and more massages. Didn't help. I went to Costa Rica for a retreat and I had another eight or 10 massages. And finally it got so bad, I couldn't walk. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stand. You know, we got an injection in my glutes, uh, muscle relaxant. And then I was given strong painkillers and still not... And I, my head was getting all woozy with those painkillers. And finally, somebody told me, this is probably emotional. There's something that you're not expressing. There are emotions mm -hmm. that you're bottling up. And I said, is there anything you're worried about? I said, well, I have this book coming out in a month. And I, I don't know how people are going to react to this book. You know, I've written about my family. I've written about other things. You know, that some people may not be happy that I've shared as openly as I have. So he said, just write down everything you're worried about. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know? And then is there any unexpressed anger? And I mm -hmm. said, well, 
maybe with my father i i did say some things but i know i didn't really express everything about all the things that happened between him and me where he cut me off for 5 years because i wanted to marry somebody that he didn't approve uh, he said i curse your marriage you mm. know he never acknowledged my son i mean there were a lot of very bitter things that happened you know and so i did all of that and then i was told about a book called uh, healing back pain the mind body connection by john sarnon and that that this person has cured tens of thousands of people of back pain without medicine without surgery simply by realizing that back the chronic pain in your body is often produced by your mind as a way of distracting you from some emotional pain that you're not willing to confront because sometimes the emotional stuff is too hard for us we don't want to go there right so the body gives us pain sends those signals right to tighten the muscles and so forth so that when you have that pain you can't be thinking about the emotional thing and the amazing thing vignesh is that 80 to 90% of people who read that book their chronic pain dissolves hmm and it goes away literally within 3 days i read the book over 3 days and at the end of 3 days my pain was gone say you that know? name of that book again Just yeah it is called the... healing back pain healing uh, back the mind body connection i will send you the uh sure. the link but it is profound actually and <clears throat> you know a part a lot of it comes from childhood you know one of the things that they talk about is is the dangers of the good child you know if like i was a good good child in the sense that i never gave trouble i always did my homework my room was always neat i never did you know i never gave my parents any cause for any concern but it turns out that if you are that kind of child that means you may be suppressing your emotions you're not expressing your mm. anger you're not expressing you know because you want i was so because i didn't know my father until i was 7 years old he was away getting his phd i was always trying to be worthy of him to impress him you know he told me everything about me was you know negative so i was always trying to and so i never wanted to you know have his disapproval mm. and so when a good child does that when a child does that that means they're suppressing their own authentic self right so in life we 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 often choose between authenticity and attachment either i can be true to myself or i can worry about you liking me so much that i'm not going to say anything to upset you mm. that's especially true with parents right so we 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 choose attachment over authenticity and eventually all of those bottled up emotions show up as chronic pain later on in life or they show up as disease right cancer and all the other diseases at the root yeah exactly all of these conditions by the way there's a long list of them fibromyalgia being one of them in chronic pain all of these are in his book as as he calls it tms he coined the word uh, attention myoneural syndrome mm. right that this is body basically depriving oxygen in some parts of your body to your mind is depriving oxygen to create the pain to distract you and then if you start to focus on that and 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 when you have a, a pain like now when i have any kind of physical pain in my body you first think psychological not physical like what's going on what am i worried about what am i stressed about what am i not you know addressing that's causing my body now you know mm. to tense up right and so yeah that was a profound learning for me that just in the last few months it's a continuation now of, for me of this healing journey and understanding myself at a deeper level and you know my body and and sharing that with the world you know which is really part of this journey so this is the first time i've ever written about myself in any of my books i think it's my 15th book that but could all be a others... very bold move actually yeah but you know i, mean, I had you... to do it i had mm. to do it you know it was a matter of self expression mm. 
better late than than never never no. yes <laughs> so raj when when we talk about you know there's this father wound we are, we, are, we, are the, we could be the victims of victims so somewhere we have to make a turn around with this generational trauma that people are inheriting yeah i mean there are good things we inherit and there could be bad things we inherit yes and it's becoming conscious of where the bad things are and how i can heal that and recover from that mm-hmm. so if there are men or even women you know having mother wound and father wound what would be the your feedback on that to that what is the way forward to come out of this wound and what is a way to heal from that or is it possible to heal and or is it something that we have to uh, you know if you cannot cure it you have to endure it or you know yeah. we can't just sub you know submerge in these uh, painkillers and mm-hmm. anti anxiety anti depressants so what is the way forward here yeah yeah so i do think that we can heal from it mm-hmm. uh, i think you know when the father wound and the mother wound um if your parents are still alive mm-hmm. you know then there's a way to engage with them and maybe in a mediated way uh, i was able to heal with my father but it took me decades mm-hmm. uh, i went from anger and bitterness when he cut me off for 5 years and did not acknowledge the birth of my son you know he threatened to kill himself or all kinds of things to prevent me from you know living my life i went from anger and bitterness to ultimately a sense of forgiveness mm-hmm. but not really i mean i said okay i forgive him but not really the feelings were still inside me right the pain was mm. still very real in my body then i went to acceptance mm. said okay he is the way he is because of hundreds of things that i can't even understand with all the factors that influenced him right mm-hmm. and um, out of out of my control out of his control so he did what he did and he said what he said uh, you know that's just the way it is then i went to understanding mm-hmm. no understanding his life his childhood his father was an incredibly harsh patriarch even more than he was uh and then ultimately to empathy mm-hmm. and finally to compassion and i realized that my father had a life where he gave in to his father on the big mm. questions because his father was such a harsh you know patriarch and my father gave up his dream profession he wanted to be a doctor my grandfather would not let him and he said if you have to go to he didn't want him to go to college and he said okay if you have to go to college you must study agriculture because we have all this land right so he gave up that my father apparently you know fell in love with some woman when he was in college as soon as my father found out my grandfather found out he arranged my sister's marriage to my mother right so my father gave in on that question i didn't give in but my <laughs> father gave in uh and then my father had this brilliant scientific career going and we were living in the US and Canada and Barbados and you know he was destined for a nobel prize it seemed according mm. to his professors but his father kept saying you need to come back you need to come back here and you know be responsible to this family you know your brothers and sisters as the oldest surviving son so he gave up his career moved back to india at the age of 34 mm. and his scientific career pretty much ended i mean after that he couldn't do the kind of research that he was doing you know so he kind of sacrificed his career he kind of profession is he 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 sacrificed many elements of his life in order to serve sort of the broader family you know to be a good son and and i realized that as a result his life was you know became kind of a tragic story of unrealized potential he's more is the most brilliant man i ever met mm. 
And yet, you know, ultimately his work didn't amount to anything because he made those choices, right? And so I came to that place of compassion at the end. And I said, you know, he did these things, uh, you know, he impacted my life in those ways, but I can now understand the pain he was living with. And he had his own trauma that he experienced when he was about 18 years old, some terrible thing that happened in the family. Mm. And he was then made to, you know, be on a cone of silence about that for the rest of his life. Nobody could talk about the terrible thing that happened in the family. Mm. He could not. Now I have, we have therapy and we have all these modalities that we can use, but he could not. So he had to numb himself with alcohol every single day of his life. And then he had to take pain, uh, sleeping pills to fall asleep, you know, because he had no peace of mind, right? So his purpose was kind of taken away from him and he had no inner peace at all, ever. And he was never able to heal hmm. any of the wounds. And so therefore I came to that place of, of deep compassion for him, you know, uh, ultimately. So I do think that in the present moment, we have the power to heal the past, right, by the truth and reconciliation process. So I did that with my family in India last June. And I, when I learned about that thing that happened 75 years ago, I had a gathering of the whole family and we talked about the truth of what happened because most mm -hmm. of us didn't know and, and how we can now move forward. How can we atone for that, beg forgiveness for the terrible crime that was committed, right? How we can honor the memory of those who were killed in that process and how we can commit to living our dharma going forward, mm. which is as warriors to be the protectors and defenders of the people, not as abusers of the people, right? So there was a truth and we were able to heal the past that day. The next day we did a religious ceremony, a puja, where we put a place for the my aunt and her child, you know, who were part of that, that tragedy that happened. So you can heal the past in the present moment and then you can heal the present you can't heal in the present if you don't heal the past. And you can create the conditions for healing in the future. And you can heal with your parents. If they're alive, ideally, you heal that way. Have those honest conversations. Express mm -hmm. the love. Like I was able to express love to my mother, you know, which I didn't think about it. You know, but when, the, when my coach told me that you've been honoring your mother with your work, I said, well, that's actually, uh, I never thought of it that way, but it's true. She said, does your mother know that? Hmm. I said, well, I didn't know it until two minutes ago. How would she know that? She said, you need to call her and tell her that. I said, well, we don't talk like that in my family, you know. We talk about the weather and talk about the knees. How are your knees feeling, you know? Said, no, it's important. I said, well, every time I call, my father picks up and he puts it on speaker. And if I say these things, he's going to say, what's wrong with him? Why is he talking mm -hmm. like that? She said, no, it's important. I said, I'm going to India in three weeks. I'll tell her in person. She said, no, your mother is 81. You don't know what happens in three weeks. So you need to call her. So I called her and I told her. Mommy, everything I've ever done that has made a difference is because of you, you know, mm -hmm. the way in which you loved us, you know, pure unconditional love and just took care of us our whole lives. And that I wouldn't be, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for you, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd still be alive. And she just started crying and said, Raj, I am nothing, I am nothing. And she said, I said, no, you are everything, you know. And so it became such a deeply healing conversation. And I'm so happy or glad and grateful that I was able to say those things to her because she had this sense that she was unimportant. You know, she was only educated till the eighth grade, didn't speak English. My father was this gold medal winning, you know, PhD scientist. So she just thought her life had been meaningless. And this gave her some sense, no, you mattered. You know, she used to be so proud when I wrote a book and I was on TV or whatever. My father didn't care, you know. But mm. she couldn't even read my books and she was more proud of them, you know. So it gave her some sense that, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, she didn't even think that it was her 
it's because of her that I was able to do all of this, you know. Mm. And so the message that I got in one of my plant journeys was love that is not expressed is like a check that is never cashed. Wow. It doesn't do any good for anybody. Right? I could write a $10 million check to somebody. Okay. And then they Which don't cash a piece it. of paper, yes. The piece of paper, right? Until it is expressed. And so if I hadn't had that conversation with my mother and I still I have the recording on my phone, I can listen anytime I want, you know. It would have it healed her and it healed me, you know. So we can heal with our parents and we can heal with our children. I'm healing with my son. You know, my son is, as I said, special needs. And I had all these, you know, I saw him as a duty and a burden and so forth. And now I see him as my teacher. I see that he embodies love, innocence, simplicity, and truth. So my relationship with him is completely transformed. And he is blossoming now at the age of 34 because that father wound is healing. Mm. And we have a new relationship of joy and love and playfulness together. You know, not a heavy sense of burden and responsibility, you know, together. So I think in the present moment, we have that opportunity. And the great thing about the time we are in right now is that the treatment modalities for trauma are so many. It used to be, yeah, it used to be just, you know, some medicines which are heavy side effects and, uh, you know, uh, some therapy didn't work. But now we have EMDR, we've got the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, the psychedelics, Right. And we have so many. We were in Costa Rica with two of the uh, the biggest trauma experts, Gabor Mate and Bessel van der Kock, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score and Gabor, mm. The Wisdom of Trauma, right? And so there's so much hope now that people with trauma can be helped. And then when you heal with from your trauma, the gift of that is that you can experience what is called post-traumatic growth, right? Which is that you are stronger because you had that trauma and you healed from it than if you never had the trauma in the first place. Right? So the Japanese have that metaphor, the kintsugi, the art of precious scars, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the thing. So you can now be a wounded. So I think of myself now, and I think many of us are, you're a wounded healer. Mm-hmm. You're a healer because you had the wounds. I think you talked about your own life and how unhealthy you used to be, mm-hmm. right? Before you came into, uh, into this work. The wounded healers are the most profound healers, right? Because they've been there and they're driven by you know, that that desire to prevent the same suffering that they've seen. So a wounded healer and a peaceful warrior. You know, I used to think I, I, I really craved peace and harmony and I didn't want any part of the Rajput culture that I was seeing. But now I realize that, yeah, you do have to be a warrior, but a warrior on behalf of what is right and what is good, you know, and uh, and so you have to step into conflict which is necessary. There is conflict. You have to fight the good fight. You know, this kind of goes back to Krishna and Arjun and you know that whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, these are some of the takeaways from this long journey. Now, I'm going to wow. be 65 in three weeks. You know, you know yeah. I'm definitely going to put the details in the show notes of the podcast so they can, you know, get a copy of the book and also read it and also maybe download it in Kindle if possible. Sure. Yeah. Well, Raj, this was such a insightful conversation a lot of inspirational ideas and there is this one quote i think it was by osho he made a comment uh, work is love made visible yes yeah khalil gibran i think is what i remember i think it's khalil gibran i think osho requoted khalil he gibran yeah 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 i don't know which came first yeah yeah but i'm sure khalil gibran was much earlier than osho i think osho talks a lot about i think in one of the books i read about 
him and i think he requoted khalil gibran that work is love made yeah. it's a, such yeah. a powerful statement yeah yeah it's one of my most yeah. inspiring statement that i can always if you do it with purpose and 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 with yeah yeah otherwise a lot of work is meaningless right mm. yeah if you do it with a connection to your own purpose and and a genuine desire to have a positive impact on others yeah it is love it's an expression of love yeah yeah thank you so much raj it was really wonderful having this conversation well you're very welcome uh, you know i i really admire you a lot i think you are a gift uh, to the world uh, thank you that you're doing is so beautiful and the impact that you're having is so profound and is rippling out i've been telling so many people you are one of the slides in my presentation now i have a picture of sitaram you know <laughs> and so many people are coming with us actually when we come next december uh, you know really looking forward to having you back yeah yeah really looking forward so thank you for having me today thank you thank you thank you for listening to ayurvedic healing and beyond if you loved and enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe share and review us This helps to spread our mission of guiding humanity to becoming their healthiest self and also giving the right resources for holistic healing. If you wish to know more about my work, please do visit www.vigneshdevraj.com. And if you are interested in doing an Ayurveda treatment or authentic panchakarma therapy, please log on to www.sitaramretreat.com.